0: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Praise Team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had in focusing in on the love of God. And what a great day to do that as we think of uh, where we are on the calendar, but even as we think uh, broader and thinking of where we are in our study through the book of 1 John. So, if you uh, have your Bible here today, uh, you can... Open up to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 7 through 12. So, 1 John 4, verse 7 through 12. Uh, if you're here and you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack right in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, you can take that one home with you. Uh, or if you want to just Google 1 John chapter 4, uh, you could find that as well. So, all manner of ways to uh, make sure we, we dive right in here. And as we think of the love of God and as we think of love itself, uh, we are meant to live in the love of God. We're meant to live in the enjoyment of it. I mean, we just sang some wonderful songs focusing on the wonder of what it means to just enjoy the love of God. That love is not something that's merely to be mentioned and sort of the word to be thrown around, but love is meant to be enjoyed. That's part of what we are supposed to be doing on Mother's Day, right? Even if we are thinking back or if we're thinking forward or if we're thinking of all the the things around us or even in thinking of in the midst of maybe what you didn't have, that the love of God would meet you in your need here today. Whatever the case may be, may we find ourselves amazed by the love of God that we would live in the love of God. So grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and let's read together down through verse 12. And this is what we read. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. Father, as we think of love and as we think of all the many ways in which that word is used and the ways in which it is thrown around, Father, fix our eyes upon what you have done for us. That justice Tim said a moment ago, that the ocean of your love would just overwhelm us in the wonder of the depth, in the reality, in the reach, in the scope of your great love for us would be so amazing that we could not help but run to you, that we would know, enjoy, and abide in your love forever. Father, stir each and every one of our hearts to come away today loving you more, and in so doing loving one another well. And Father, we ask all of this for your great glory and in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we come into this passage, of course, we know that we're jumping right here in the middle, and it's always helpful to think of where we've been before. And I mean, you can think of the love of God as it's already been talked about repeatedly throughout 1 John, and that's been mentioned in several circumstances. We can talk about the confidence that we have before God because of what Jesus has done for us. And even last Sunday, when we talked about testing the spirits and living in discernment through the truth of what God has provided and walking in that and rejoicing in the fact that He who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. And what a wonderful victory declaration that is. And so it's right on the heels of that that we find ourselves reading, beloved, let us love one another. Now, one of the things that's just enjoyable to read about 1 John are these repeated family terms, the ways in which he refers to the people of God, beloved, Loved ones in the faith, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, those who know and enjoy the love of God in Jesus Christ, beloved, loved ones, let us love one another. And then when we read this and we remember where we are within the context, it's very helpful to think in the world of discernment, we are to display the character of God. That often in our interactions, especially when you start talking about discernment, things can get kind of ugly really fast. And so it's in the midst of that that we're thinking we ought to love one another and love one another well. And as it was helpfully unpacked, as we think about love, it's much more than emotion, and it's much more than mere sentiment, isn't it? But the word that's used here is the word agape, and it's the sense of self-sacrificing love, love that lays down its own life. And of course, as we talk about where we are on the calendar, and here it is, it's Mother's Day. As we think about Mother's Day, what is a common display for many people is you think about your own mother's love, and that your own mother's love in many ways went way, way, way beyond mere sentiment and emotion, because there were a lot of times when, quite frankly, we were just unlovable people. But even more than that, it began long before that, right? I mean, mamas sort of rule the graveyard shift, don't they? And even so doing, they'll make it all the way through the graveyard shift and then face an entire day laid out in front of them. It's as though you think back about being a mama and you think of you know, where this all went through. They're the, the smells special forces, right? Dealing with things that nobody wants to touch. They're the sort of diaper delta force with tactical precision getting in there and you know dealing with things that make most normal people just freak out. They're able to handle with such precision and calm care. It's crazy to think that a mama can get, you know, all of her children ready to go anywhere faster than a man can shave his face. It's amazing. And we look at all of these things and we're like, this is astounding. And if you had a good mama, you know that her love was an enduring love. It was a self-sacrificing love. It was not self-exalting. And in so many ways, we learn love in that way. And so he's using this word here, let us love one another. Let's love each other like that. Let's get it right within the household of God, within the family of faith. Because we know good and well that if you love well at home, you're going to love your neighbor too. Let's start here. Let us love one another, but why? It's like we, we approach this and we want to ask, well, the question, like a little child, well, well why should I? Why, why should we? Well, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, love in the agape sense is from God. Now, we can't stand here and say that unbelievers don't love their children. They do. But the intent and the source of the love is different. Christian love is distinct in the sense of its glory and its honor directed to God Himself. It, it draws from a different source and thus brings about different results. He says love is from God. Real Christian love is sourced in who He is and what He's done for us. That's why we're constantly looking to Him to understand and define everything as it relates to the ways in which we use these words, and this one in particular, that pure sources matter. I don't know about you, but if you were to, you know, if you were to hand out water bottles here today and somebody said, well, this water is 80% pure, would you drink it? You'd be like, I don't think so, right? Or if somebody walked up to you and said, well, this water bottle only has 1% filth in it, be like, keep it, thanks. Pure sources matter, don't they? We want to draw from an, a pure source, one that's not defiled in any way, shape, or form. And it's only from God Himself that we can find that pure source. It's not sourced in our emotion, it's not sourced in our own ideas, it's sourced in God Himself, and that how you love displays who you trust. He says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Born of God in the sense of being born again, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you're made alive in Christ Jesus. You are his child through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into the family of faith through faith in Christ, crucified on the cross for your sin and risen from the dead. Born of God in the sense that the heavenly father looks and says, that's my child. New heart, new desires. A longing for holiness and a longing and enjoyment of His grace that yourself has been dethroned and you're new in Him. And in your being you bear a striking resemblance to the family, to the Heavenly Father. One clear display of genuine salvation is love for one another. This is meant to give us assurance of faith. This is meant to encourage us in the faith, that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, evidence of His influence in your life, that it's meant to comfort you and encourage you in the genuineness of your faith. But as you read this, just even this singular verse, is this what's on display in your own life? Does your life bear a striking family resemblance to the one who loved you through the cross and out the empty tomb? What's on display in your life? Beloved, let's love one another. He goes on to say it in another way in verse 8. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That love is a display of the truth of God at work in us, evidence of knowing Him. And that our interaction with the Lord involves love, right? Many of us came to faith in Christ through what? Through the sharing of the love of God, right? We, our first interaction with the gospel probably started with John 3.16, right? And then we start to unpack the gospel, and we find all these expressions of love. We could quote Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that our initial interaction runs right through His love, But it's not as though we have this one singular experience of salvation and experience His love then, and and that's it. No, we're brought into the family, and then His love just goes all over the place. His love just runs through our marriages and runs through our uh, parenting and runs through your life as a child and runs through your life in, in family, runs through your life as a single person in all these areas. And you start to love the unlovable. Why? Because that's what Christ did for you, and that's what Christ did for me. We ought to look for love as a vital sign of genuine faith. And see, he's not being vague here. When he says anyone who does not love does not know God, he's not just saying you can love anything and therefore you know God. You can't say, well, I love bacon, so therefore I love God. Like, that's not how this works. He's not being intentionally vague here, he's being very specific. Love for Him, love for the Lord, love for who He is and what He has done. Love in the fact that He has worked in you and that you love Him because He first loved you. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And see, we find ourselves reading this and recognizing we are meant to know that we are loved. And in so doing, from that place, we then go and love one another. He says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He speaks of love as an essential attribute of of God himself. Now, we need to be very careful here because, yes, the text does say God is love, but that's not his only attribute either. He has many attributes. So, we don't use this statement as a way to exclude other statements because God is love, but yes, God is holy. God is righteous. And God is love. So, we're not to read this and use this as an excuse for doing whatever you want. Say, well, you know, God loves me, so I'm just going to do what I know is wrong. What I know is wrong according to His Word. That's not really love, is it? Would you do that to your mother? Well, I know my mom is going to love me anyway, so I'm going to do the opposite of what she told me. You'd be like, "What?" Let us not fall into that trap. And so, when we read, "God is love," we can think in terms of you know, if you wanted to use the sort of theological terms, talking about an ontological statement, talking about a statement of being for who God is, and you start to unpack thinking about God's attributes. And God has incommunicable attributes, incommunicable attributes, and incommunicable attributes would be those that he does not share or communicate to us. It sets him apart as God. And you can think of God's independence, or you can think of God's immutability, or you can think of God's inassibility in the sense that he is source without source. You can think of his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his transcendence. All of these wonderful attributes and wonderful declarations that God is distinct and sufficient all by Himself, and yet God also has communicable attributes, attributes that He communicates to His people, attributes that He communicates to us. And because of His incommunicable attributes, we can recognize He's the source of all the communicable attributes. So because He's the fountainhead of all love, He's the source from which we can draw, and it never diminishes in Him because of who He is. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? So we can think of him in his knowledge, and you can think of him in his wisdom, and you think of him in his faithfulness, in his goodness, in his holiness, in his peace, in his righteousness, in this source from which we continually draw. And yet in drawing the source, we never diminish the depth of his own reality. And that's true also in his love. If you know him. You know his love. And your love, his love, has shaped your life. And see, what he's getting at here, not only in talking about God is love and speaking of his being, but also in referencing back to that we have been born of God, that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He's dealing with the reality of the fact that this is not just about shaping human behavior. We're not referred to as human doings, are we? We're human beings, and that out of who we are will come what we do. The love of God should transform who we are. This is not mere behavior modification. This is transforming who we are, and so that out of the transformation of who we are, it shapes what we do to live to display the love of God. Because it displays who you are in Christ and whose you are in Christ. But see, we also have to recognize that we need to live in the love of God rightly defined and that it's defined so clearly for us within the text. Like in verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest. Excuse me, made it manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. We want clear displays of things, don't we? And it's like you look closely, and the more you see, the more you love as you start to look at Him. But see, that's true in other ways too. I mean, when you think about, I mean, it's Mother's Day, so we can draw from the endless array of Mother's Day illustrations. You think of all of what goes on, all of the, what moms do what your wife does as a mother, what you see. And you see these pictures of steadfast love. But see, then you think of God, you think of His steadfast love that endures forever, that every selfish tendency that you've had, every prodigal moment, every rebellious movement, He's never been ashamed to love you. And He loved you enough to get involved in the mess. To deal with our pride and deal with our lust and deal with our idolatry and deal with our covetousness. To redeem us and rescue us. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. We need a clear display. Because in so many ways we live in a world of very bad definitions. I mean, and we could chase that giant rabbit if we want to, but we really don't have time for all of that here today. Down do we? But, dare I say, you're in a bit of a mess today if you can't define what is a mother. We need clear definitions. What is love? What's the clearest expression of love that we could ever possibly reach to? Love must start with God or it will be an entire muddled mess. And it's like we're reading this, and it's like, I need a demonstration. And maybe you were the kid in the class, right, where the teacher's just talking for a little while, and you're the one that's raising your hand in the back and being like, "Uh, excuse me, can you show us, right? And of course, the teacher's like, okay, right? you don't want to just take my word for it? Show us. And of course, they go through and they show us. Here's what God has done. It's like we raise our hands and say, can you show us this? Yes, God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God sent. He took the initiative. And even the word that's being used here in the Greek text and talking about being sent, He's not just sending anybody. It's not just Whoever was in line at the time, he's sending his official representative who has an official capacity and has an authority to speak and to accomplish what he has been sent to do. He's the only one who could do it. God sent his only son, or as it's often translated, only begotten son, speaking to the uniqueness of Jesus, that Jesus is a son in a way that's distinct from the way in which believers are made sons. We are adopted into the family. He is a son by his own right and his own being. From all eternity, undivided essence that he shares with the Father, he is begotten and not made. His uniqueness in being fully God and fully man come in the flesh to redeem us from the curse of the law is the reason that we can see and know the love of God. So look to Jesus. God sent his only son into the world. He didn't just look down and say, look at that mess. He said, I'm going to go save the people out of that mess. He didn't just watch it from above and be like, somebody should do something about that. He did something about it. Look at what he's done. Look at the love of God. And we think of our world and a world full of people in need of love. And we think of our own community. And maybe you think of yourself. That every person in your life has somehow cast you aside. And maybe every person that you have loved, you have lost. There is one whose love endures forever, and you will not outlast him. Whose love will carry you through every storm, who will be sufficient for every need, who will meet your every need in the moment in a way that displays the depth of his love for you. Look to him. Look to Jesus. See, we should acknowledge many people skip Mother's Day church. Because it's hard. Because it's a reminder oftentimes of loss, of what you don't have. Or of what wasn't provided. A lot of hard realities. Listen, love has been displayed for you too. Love that can take a broken heart and fill it. That he himself would bring you life. See, we need to get this definition right. That God has demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why? So that we might live through Him. So that when we get the definition of God's love right, then we can see that love has a defined purpose in our own lives. That we would live. That we would live in the love of God rightly defined. That we would forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. That we would be reconciled one to another because God reconciled us to Himself. That we would love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. Why? Because that's what Christ Jesus did for us. We see the purpose and the intent live life defined by the love of God. Live in His love. His enduring, holy, restoring, refreshing, rescuing love. That we don't linger in lawlessness, we don't saturate our lives in sin, we live in the love of God. And live through Him. He goes on to say in verse 10, he says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He's like, and this is love. It's like a recognition of the fact that here we are and we're always looking around, right? I just don't see it. I just can't find it. Maybe that's you walking around the house looking for something that you lost. And you need somebody to come around and be like, it's right here. Here's where to look. Here's where you'll find it. And within the past couple of verses, this is exactly what's going on. It's like, here's where to look. We spend all these days looking around being like, well, am I going to find it in this Hallmark movie? And then you watch it and you're like, nope, right? And then you make your way through something else. Like, maybe I'll find it here. You're like, nope. Or maybe I'll, I'll try this out for a little while. Nope. Where are we supposed to look? Look to Him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us. The starting point is not ourselves. We did not find our own way. We were dead in our trespasses and sin and delighting in the darkness, and He came to us. He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That before the foundation of the world, He loved you. Before you ever even had a thought about anything, His love had already endured forever. Before you had even the smallest problem in your own life, His love had already transcended all of that. Loved us, sought us, saves us and gives us exactly what we need. Because love doesn't just pretend like everything's hunky-dory when we know good and well it's not. It would not be a loving thing for a doctor to walk into your office knowing good and well that you've got an enormous problem to walk in there and be like, everything's fine, you should just go home. No love deals with the problem. In the reality of human sinfulness, we have a big problem. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned against the righteous and holy God. And because of the degree of His great authority, we deserve, to the same degree, a great punishment. And yet, God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice that bears the wrath of God. And leads us right into the hands of His grace. Because there is wrath, God's holy anger against what contradicts His holiness. It is what we deserve. And the reality of the awfulness of our sin should lead us to run into the love of God that's offered to us freely in Christ Jesus. And that in propitiation, it's not just making, uh, th- making amends, it's that He actually deals with the problem. He cancels the guilt because justice is done. You can read this in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because sin is either punished on the cross for you that you receive by faith, or you will receive the punishment yourself forever in hell. Those are the options that are laid out. And God loved us so much that He sent His Son to save us. And then we need to see and know the meaning of it and receive and live and enjoy His love. Amen. It does not start with us that we root our understanding of the love of God in His redeeming work in the cross of Christ Jesus. Amen. And when you see, when you know, you just want to receive and you want it applied in daily life. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Beloved, loved ones, if God so loved you, and He has, If you can just slow down a minute and just behold His great love and be amazed at it. Because if you slow down long enough, and we can talk about you know, our own sin and deal with our own sinfulness, and you can think, even when in the mention of that word, you can look back on something that you know that you've done that you don't even want to talk about and you don't even want to remember. And God loved you through that. He loved us in all of our unlovable moments. His love is always present and always sure, and it never gives up and it never fails, and it confronts us and corrects us and leads us and guides us and calls us home, that we're being called here to just slow down enough to enjoy and adore His great love. And in so doing, if God so loved us, if we can think about that and the degrees to which He has loved us, we also ought to love one another. We just feel compelled to do so. Because the more amazed you are at the love of God, the more you're going to want to fulfill this obligation. It's like, oh, I just have to. It's just flowing out of me. I just can't not. See, this is different from an obligation where you just sort of take it on and you're like, oh, I just got to do this, right? Please. If you're going to do something for your mom today, don't do it because you, or your, or your wife, don't do it simply because you feel the obligation of Hallmark, right? That doesn't honor her. Don't hand her a card or something and be like, I knew you'd be mad if I didn't give this to you. That's not a very good expression of love, now is it? Don't be like, I didn't want a bad review on Facebook, so here's your card. No. Out of gratitude and love, it's different, isn't it? I love you. Let me tell you why. Let me express that to you. And then all of a sudden we start to see that this is just flowing from gratitude to God. He loved me, so I will love you. Love with the truth in confronting sin. Love with the reality of forgiving one another. Love with giving grace that we love as an overflow in response to God's love in our lives. Amen. And then, oftentimes it takes time, it takes sacrifice, it takes laying down our own priorities for the benefit of others. Amen. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He says no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And maybe when you read verse 12, you think, this sounds very familiar. It should. Because in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, uh, verse 18, you read this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And so here He is saying, look, no one has ever seen God. No one has beheld the fullness of His glory. He has been manifested and made known in Jesus Christ, displayed to the degree that Jesus would say in John 14, 9, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. Amen. And so we trust and know and believe and expect to apply this love and for Him to work it out in us. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us visible evidence of the invisible god in our midst it's like what jesus said in john chapter 13 verse 35 when he said this by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another it's like an ongoing identifying characteristic we like to have those ongoing identifying characteristics Every single one of us likes to sort something in some way or another. Sometimes we do it by clothes. Sometimes we do it by haircut. We're sort of you know, managing people out. You think of even as a mother looking at her children. And maybe the mother's looking at their children being like, you're my child and you're not leaving the house looking like that. What is some sort of indicator of whose we are? Look at what he says. If we love one another, God abides in us. His ongoing presence is bearing forth fruit in our lives. That how people on the outside will look and say, Yep, these people belong to Jesus. We love one another. Bear with one another's weaknesses and failures. Aim for restoration. Love through the triumphs and through the storms. Calling one another to repentance and faith. No matter what, loved and loved with self-sacrifice and forgiveness and grace and endurance and forbearance and truth and accountability. Why? Because of Him. Because He's in us. And if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. That is brought to its cool completion and full effect see the picture here is that love is meant to fill us up and then overflow we're not meant to just be filled up and then go our separate ways we're meant to be filled up so that we would overflow and see the full effect of knowing his love Receiving his love and then loving one another. And see, maybe in working through this passage of scripture and thinking through all of that, and you look at your own life and be like, I don't know if anybody loves me. He does. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering what in the world is going on in your life and you're, it's like you're trying to, to draw love from a dry well. And it's like you keep dropping the bucket down the well and you keep bringing it back up and you're like, there's nothing in there. And maybe if I check again and I, you're just reach, looking down inside seeing if you can draw something else and you're just weary and wondering where is this going to come from? How in the world can I, can I live this way? What am I going to do? What is the answer? God himself. In this is love. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God sent His only Son into the world so that you might live through Him. That Jesus was sent on a mission. He came in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. Lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, went to the cross and died in our place. Enduring the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. Laid down his life, said it is finished. And three days later, risen from the dead. A display that his love endures forever. His love is mighty. His love is what you need. His love needs to fill your heart. His love is the only thing that will fill you up and allow you to have a well to draw from. So that the testimony of your life would go from I've tried in my own and I can't do it to turning away from your sin and trusting in Christ and letting this be your declaration. Knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love beckons you today. Trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and let us all live in His love together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. For Jesus God as we think of your love as we think of the expressions of your love as we think of the ways in which you have made it known to us Father thank you for not leaving it up to our own definitions and our own ideas Father thank you for being so clear that you love us enough to save us and that in saving us you adopt us and that in making us part of your family you fill us And in filling us, you use us, and you teach us, and you grow us, and you guide us, and you draw us ever closer to yourself. Father, on this day, in this moment, may we be amazed at your love. And God, we plead with you that if there is any person in here within the sound of my voice, for the people in here who have never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, who have never known your love, May your spirit beckon to them now. May they cast off their sin and run to you and enjoy your steadfast love that endures forever, your love that forgives sin, your love that reconciles us to yourself, your love that sustains us and cares for us and dries our tears and comforts us. Father, display your love in our hearts here today. Not only that we would love you all the more, but Father, that you would fill our lives to such a degree with your love that we would love one another as well. Lord, do more than we expected you to do in our midst because we know that's how your love always works. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.